Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Free Balance app. Each week on my podcast, join me and my special guests where we discuss all things perimenopause and menopause. We talk about the latest research, bust myths on menopause symptoms and treatments, and often share moving and always inspirational personal stories. This podcast is brought to you by the Newson Health Group, which has clinics across the UK dedicated to providing individualised perimenopause and menopause care for all women. So I'm very excited for today's podcast. I've got with me in the studio someone called Frida who approached me like lots of people do and told me about the incredible work that she's doing. And for those of you that might know, I spend a lot of my time trying to work out how to reach people who have really been unheard, have been sort of vanished from society with their perimenopause and menopause. And the more work I do, the more I realise sadly there's lots of those women. And it's actually, I think, the majority of women who are not not able to access really good quality care, advice and treatment. So Frida's been doing some really great work. So I'm very privileged to have you here today at my studio. So welcome today. Thank you, Louise. It's a privilege to be here, actually. Oh, thank you. So just tell me a bit about you first and your background and why you're doing what you're doing, if that's okay. As you may have gathered from some of my background information, I am a creative person who works across the cultural sector. And at the moment, I'm working in the culinary world. So everything to do with food, health, well-being, and being equipped to understanding our bodies and uh, how we can make really the best of our our health through food, through nutrition, through lifestyle. And in the current world that we're living in, we need to be fully aware of how our longevity impacts our family and our communities. So just making sure that we are, I suppose, making the best choices when it comes to food, nutrition, and even lifestyle. And that extends to, as I say, the creative sector, the creative industries. I came across the work that you were doing, obviously, through my own journey and wanting to know more. And um, I equipped myself with a lot of knowledge, a lot of background. And being in a perimenopausal state myself, I felt I needed to reach out and talk to you about some of the, I suppose, the inequities that still exist even though there are some brilliant services out there and some great research and work, sadly, there are still pockets of communities that are not accessing the right care and the right treatment, especially when women of my age bracket approach menopause and are in perimenopause. Mm, Absolutely. It's interesting. When I trained in Manchester many years ago now, there's a huge ethnic minority population. And when I was working in casualty, lots of women would come in with total body pain. And they would be almost dismissed to say, well, 
they're on antidepressants, there's nothing wrong with them, we've checked their thyroid, there's probably other issues at home, it's very difficult to get a history because they're not speaking English, they haven't got an interpreter with them, you know, what can we do? And I look back in horror because I know a lot of these women were either menopausal or perimenopausal because they were the right age and I don't know how much of their symptoms were related to their hormones but no one even gave them opportunity to have any education or even to talk about it. I think that's very sad and I think that pertains to a lot of the cultural taboos and stigmas associated with perimenopause and menopause, especially when you think that a woman's currency in many communities, not just Pakistani and Asian community or ethnic communities, but across the whole spectrum, I would imagine, a woman's currency is linked to fertility, mm. to youth, to abundance. And sadly, it is overlooked and not actually talked about, not even overlooked, that's probably the wrong word. It's not even addressed mm. because it is considered almost like a failure on the part of a matriarch, on the part of a woman, mm. on the part of a family, which is very, very sad. Yeah, it's the same with so many people because when we've looked at the menopause for so many years, it's been about periods which is associated with fertility, like you quite rightly say. And because we know a lot of women are younger when they're menopausal as well, at an age where perhaps they would be expected to conceive, it's a double whammy for those people that are young when they're menopausal. But actually, even when people are older, you want to cling on to your youth, if you see what I mean. But our our youth should not be defined as whether we're fertile or not. But there is this identity for women. And like you say, in some cultures, it's more than others. But actually, the menopause isn't about losing fertility. And there are some women actually who have an early menopause who are still fertile. Their fertility isn't as good, but they are still fertile. Yet they've got this shame that they don't want to talk. And we see a lot of women in Fertility, who've gone to fertility clinics and they have reduced fertility and everyone's been blaming their anxiety, their mental health issues, their poor sleep on their worry about whether they can get pregnant or not. But actually it's because they've got a hormonal deficiency due to their perimenopause or early menopause. So there's been this misinterpretation of what the menopause actually means. And some people refer to the time after our menopause as post-reproductive health. Well, it's not actually, and that's really confusing for a lot of people. But like you say, when you've got this added burden, actually, of being a woman who has to be fertile, it adds a whole new dimension, doesn't it? Absolutely. And as I said before, I'm not dismissing some brilliant work that's going on in terms of outreach and engaging more representation. There are some brilliant doctors out there like Nigat Ashraf reaching out to the ethnic minority communities through her social media platforms. But what worries me is that there are still pockets of ignorance within communities. And again, ignorance is not used as a derogatory word here. It's ignorance because a lot of the women I have been exposed to sadly have been misdiagnosed and many of them are on antidepressants mm. and as a result of that they are being labelled mm. as mentally ill and that's what probably perturbs me more than anything is the fact that they are not being first of all diagnosed properly or even 
aware of the local amenities and resources. Even in West Yorkshire, there are some brilliant resources that exist, um, like Live UK, run by Melissa Sukia, and she's doing some great work. I spoke to her and she said, if they approach me, that's the only way I can help them, Frida. And she absolutely would go in and do some voluntary work. But the fact is they are not even in a position to access those services because they are not aware and just looking at the actual statistics, 78% of women with from ethnic minority communities are actually still very much unaware of their menopausal symptoms. And given that there isn't a definitive word for it, there is a very broad spectrum word, which is very similar to the menopause, you know, the Greek word meno, pausos, which is literally everything shuts down, which isn't a very glamorous word either, but you know, it pertains to shut down, which again is not a word that makes women feel good about their bodies and their health and you know their sexual health mm. which again should not be a taboo subject but sadly it is and it has a cascading effect onto their families onto their husbands and across the community and it resonates and that's one of the reasons why I feel it needs to be addressed even though there are some great resources out there there are still women not accessing them yeah it's very interesting and it's so Frustrating, actually, isn't it? When this is something that happens to 100% of women at different ages, of course, yet we still don't understand what's happening. And in fact, seven years ago, I used to work with West Midlands Police and we did a survey then to try and understand the, what women understood by the menopause and about their symptoms. And it was a very similar figure. It was about 75% of women didn't realise that their symptoms that they were having were related to their menopause and the commonest symptoms affecting them at work were anxiety, mood problems, fatigue, memory problems. And they'd been signed off work with depression, with headaches, with migraines. with And they, a lot of them were just telling me that they were retiring early because they couldn't carry on. And this was seven years ago, so hardly anyone was talking about the menopause then. And I remember sitting in this room with these lovely officers and police staff and just saying, but you, you're only 50. You can't give up your job now. And they said, well, we can't even go to the playground and lift our grandchildren to put them on the swing because we've got such bad muscle and joint pains. We're on antidepressants and they're not helping. And I was like, sorry, you don't seem depressed. Why are you on antidepressants? Oh, well, because that's all I could be given. And it was then that I really had this sort of almost light bulb moment thinking, goodness me, this is to me very obvious, but people aren't accessing it and obviously developing then the website and then the app isn't it great it's got a wonderful reach and everyone says oh isn't it amazing Louise you've had over a million downloads of Balance app and I think no it's not there's 1.2 billion women worldwide how do we access them and how do we enable them to find out information because I think women are very good lots of communities of women are very close but they've got to know how to start the conversation, how to open up the conversation, isn't it? And I know you've been working really hard in some areas, haven't you, to really start that going? I feel really passionate about it because I feel if you fail one woman, you are failing a whole entire mm. community. And within the South Asian community, there are lots of different demographics. You have a Bangladeshi community, you have an Indian community, you have a Pakistani community. So it's a whole demographic there. And it can take one person's mindset changing 
for that to cascade and reverberate through an entire community. And it can be as simple as that, Louise. Mm. And I'm on a mission, actually. I'm on a mission because I've seen generations before me. I actually have an older family. I'm the youngest of quite an older family. So I have sisters in their 60s. And I know I've actually interviewed women of different age groups. And I've interviewed women in their 60s and asked them if they would have done anything differently. And it's very sad to hear them saying, had I known about this, I would have done things very differently. And now they are on a, a whole spectrum of medications ranging from thyroid right through to blood pressure and antidepressants. I was offered antidepressants when I approached my GP, but thankfully, Louise, I'd already found you. I'd already found you and I knew exactly what the protocol would be. And as an articulate Pakistani woman, British Pakistani woman, mm. I was capable of knocking on the GP's door three times. And in fact, that's how we met because it took me three knocks on the door to get my HRT. And can you imagine a woman whose language is not English, who's not very confident, who trusts completely and implicitly what the GP is saying, which we should actually, I'm not undermining mm. that, but sadly, even somebody like myself who is articulate and adept at getting through to my GP and armed with a whole arsenal of research and statistics, even then I was refused three times. So I think therein also lies a problem because it's still happening. And um, I think if we enable and empower one woman to knock on that door however many times it takes. And if it means me going in and making sure this is happening at a pedestrian level, I'm not a clinician and I don't profess to be anybody from a medical background, but as a person who can give women a voice and enable them and maybe empower them to just, you know, keep pushing and not accept the first port of call, which sadly is always antidepressants from what I've learned from the communities I'm working with. And uh, like I said, the system is still failing many women. Mm. It is. And I don't quite know why. One day, maybe I'll find out, but I, I really don't understand why. And I am, um, I'm a fellow of the Royal College of GPs. And I did speak to some of people quite high up, I won't mention any names recently, and asked them where the antagonism is for my work and for menopause. And why is it the women are being underserved? And one of the responses was, well, Louise, your media attention to the menopause is quite difficult because it means so many women now are coming asking for hormones to the detriment of other patients. And I feel really sad about that because I think if we can invest time-wise, but also economically in women in their first or second consultation, sometimes it can take more than one consultation to go through everything, but then these women will then often be liberated and not come back into general practice or to other healthcare systems because many women, and we know that from just doing some research in our clinic, once they are better and have the right treatment and looking at treatment, when I say holistic treatment, looking at changing, improving their nutrition, exercise, sleep, well-being and hormones if they want them, then actually they don't then go back to their GP in the short term because they don't have symptoms but in the longer term we know they're less likely to have cardiovascular disease diabetes osteoporosis and so forth and we know that women from certain ethnic minorities have a higher risk of obesity type 2 diabetes cardiovascular disease many of these women have a younger menopause we know women who are younger when they're menopausal have a higher risk of these diseases as well 
We wouldn't allow women to be walking the streets with raised untreated blood pressure or raised untreated type 2 diabetes, yet we're allowing them to have very low hormone levels with risks and symptoms affecting the quality of their life and almost being annoyed that they're coming to ask for treatment. I don't really understand that. And the more work we do empowering people, the sadder the stories are that I hear of people being turned away. And I can't quite understand. I wish someone could tell me in a very reasonable way why it's so awful, but I haven't heard a reason yet. Well, therein, for me, lies the injustice Louise, and I think you hit the nail on the head. If a woman is misdiagnosed, then it does sadly lead to many other conditions which you have shown to be linked to menopause, dementia, osteoporosis. All of these conditions could quite easily have been, I'm not saying remedied, but you know, HRT isn't always the answer, but an awareness of just something as simple as diet and, you know, changes to a woman's diet when certain hormones go out of kilter. I specialise in food. Whilst I'm not a nutritionist, I understand what foods work and it's pretty common sense for me. You know, I've been cooking for many, many years where things were cooked from scratch in most instances. And I know that fresh unprocessed food help certain menopause conditions. And it's as simple as just awareness and information in many instances, which that in itself doesn't necessarily involve medical intervention that isn't something that a woman necessarily needs to reach for, you know, the antidepressants. It's just on the first port of call, it should be, have you accessed this service that is available to you in your community? That's something I really want to do. If that's a bridge that I represent, then I would be happy to do that, to, to signpost women from my community. And I I suppose I have a special interest in my own community. I can't speak for the wider community, but having worked and being from that community myself, I understand the cultural sensitivities, the taboos and everything else I've mentioned. But I certainly can support women and signpost them to accessing the right healthcare before they go down a slippery slope of once they're on something, sadly, there are side effects and those side effects can lead to more and more medication. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in the older generations of, um, say, for example, of my mother's generation, when a lot of the women in her generation were bedridden at the age of 50 plus. Thankfully, my mum's very, very well in her 80s, but um, she had a very different approach to it. And it was more about mindset, health, well-being and food, actually, which is probably where I took my inspiration from food and do what I do. But there are a lot of women who did, even at that time, and we're talking about the 80s and 90s, well before you came on the scene, Louise, even less knowledge and understanding of menopause. Many women became bedridden. And I often used to wonder why. And I know now, and I know lots of it, you know, a certain percentage of that would have been definitively linked to menopause. So tell us about some of the work that you've been doing, some of the research you're doing. I know you've been speaking to a lot of people, and I'm really keen to hear a bit more about that, if that's possible, Frida. Definitely. Well, I've interviewed 
over 20 women. I have case studies of 20 women written down, the ones that I found quite interesting. And as I said before, quite definitive in terms of some of the really interesting points that came out. And it's a very broad demographic from very highly adept and articulate, educated women right through to, and again, I'm not using this as a way to undermine women who have come from South Asia who are housewives and just as adept, but in a different way. So women who are articulate enough to access services, I interviewed them and I interviewed housewives from certain communities who are not necessarily medically literate enough to access services. My findings are very interesting, Louise, because even within the more capable, as in able to approach their GP confidently, even those women are not necessarily accessing the right treatment. And the women in the community centres, they have been offered certain treatments but are refusing. And I also interviewed daughters of some of the women I interviewed to see what effect it was having in a more family environment and men as well and looking at the way men approach or don't approach or even want to engage in the conversation. So my findings are interesting. Some of the older participants sadly said that they were felt that they'd been let down by the system. Had they known about it, they would have accessed treatment because now they're on a spectrum of medications, which they are certain in themselves that they probably wouldn't have had to because of some of the joint pains that they're suffering, some of the cardiovascular symptoms that some of them have suffered. Had they accessed treatment maybe 10 or 15 years ago, they wouldn't have done that. Mm. So it's almost like it's a little bit too late for them. They think, even though I'm trying to push them to, you know, have a look and see if there are still options available to them. I'm not pushing for HRT. I'm not pushing them to go down any road other than to be more aware. But like I said, my findings are a lot of stories and anecdotes about the effect it had on their lifestyle, their marriages, their family life right through to, as you've mentioned, some of them stopping work Mm. and feeling as though they couldn't carry on in the workplace, their brains weren't functioning. There was the classic symptoms, brain fog, anxiety, and the husbands sadly not being very amenable or supportive to that. And the words like psychosis were being used to describe how they were being labelled by the community, by close family members. And that resulted in many of these women taking alternative treatments, which, again, I'm not a clinician, but I know that it just didn't seem to fit very well with what I was hearing. So it's quite alarming that the system has failed a generation before us. But looking at some of the younger women, thankfully, they are more aware of what's going on, even though they're not in a perimenopausal, menopausal age bracket. They know from their mothers. They know from the experiences of what their mothers are going through and are more adept and probably will be more adept at accessing the services. But even then, many of them, because they're not in that age bracket or even thinking about perimenopause, they're still very, very much unaware of what's to come. Some of them even use the word frightened, scared. Mm. You know, the idea of a menopause fills them with dread and 
again, one of my roles, I feel, is to advocate that it shouldn't have to be like that for a woman who is perimenopausal. Mm. And I feel it is a game changer. And I feel that there are so many things and opportunities available. If all I can do is reassure a lot of the younger women, then I feel as though, you know, there is an awful lot of value in that. I also interviewed some of the uh, people who were running some of the community centres. They too recognise there is a problem. Their hands are tied. It's a very political situation, as I'm sure you're aware of, Louise, when it comes to medicine. But my job is to make them aware of services outside of the GPs that exist, such as I've already mentioned in West Yorkshire. We have some great resources like Live and other things and high-profile doctors like Nigat Ashraf who are doing brilliant things. And just seeing if they can be woven into some of the sessions, some of the workshops, some of the coffee mornings. But, you know, these gatherings usually are about lifestyle and accessing healthcare and make it a point of menopause being a very targeted thing that they talk about once a month. I've gone in and spoken about it and some of the perceptions that came out were very, very interesting. You know, we did posters, we did some notes and some of the uh, quotes that came from that, I wrote them down and some of them were quite discouraging, but some of them were very positive in the sense of that women felt empowered enough to feel like there was an opportunity for them to come back Mm. and one of the quotes was I'm going to start driving again I can't believe I've stopped driving you know that in itself right now it's sad because it means that a lifestyle something that's so relevant to somebody's lifestyle driving somewhere somebody stopped because of the debilitating anxiety If there is an opportunity to reverse that or address that and, you know, get that woman back, there's a bit of work to be done. So that's what my findings have Mm. revealed across a range of demographic, as I've mentioned. Which is no surprise for me because I hear stories all the time from people from all backgrounds saying similar things. But it is absolutely shocking that we're talking like this in 2023. You know, I speak to a lot of women who are too scared to go out the house. They're too scared to use public transport. They've stopped driving, like you say. They've given up their jobs, but also their role in society. And, you know, older women often have a really pivotal place and role in society, even within families and communities to really educate and learn and be part of something. And if they can't do it, they're losing out, but other generations are losing out. So there's so much that we need to do because there's the older generation that you say have been lost out and they're on all these other medications they're not too old to consider the right treatment that's individualised for them. But really crucially, and I clearly think about this a lot, having three daughters, the new generation coming in need to be educated really early so they can make choices when they haven't become this shadow of a person that has withdrawn from society because it's too hard when you're riddled with anxiety and you're a shell of yourself and you've knocked on that door too many times to try and get help or you've received the wrong help. So it's empowering women and the work you're doing is incredible. It's really making a dent and a start and we're making lots of dents in the work we do. Every day I feel inadequate about the work I do 
but actually it can be amplified by us all working together. And I think absolutely. that's where it's absolutely crucial that we all work together to help as many people as possible because if each of us just helping a few if there's enough of us then it really gets amplified and resonates and that seems to be what's happening but we certainly have to do so much more work to get to certain communities so I think your work is incredible and any of you that follow you on Instagram will see how amazingly talented you are not just you. you know with the work that you're doing beyond home and everything else but the way that you design and cook the food I just feel incredibly inadequate looking at some of the uh you the, the, what you oh it's you know well it's wonderful and it's actually a very very calming Instagram page just to look at actually Thank with you. all the the craziness of everything that's going on so there's I so much you're contributing to so before we finish, are you able to give three take-home tips for those women who may have listened to this and are struggling or those women who think, yes, I might be able to help people in my community just by talking and how do I start or what do I do? Are you able to help at all with three tips? I think my three tips would definitely start with representation mm. in terms of possibly seeing something that's culturally relevant. And I don't want to duplicate what's already going on because I know that, you know, there are some materials that have been transcribed into South Asian languages. But just to reinforce that, you know, through marketing, videos, posters, I'm a South Asian woman, I'm a Pakistani, I'm a British Pakistani woman, and I know I represent a certain demographic. I feel as though I can reach many women through the fact that I am from the community, but maybe platforms for women like myself who are able to cascade that information and let that, as you said, reverberate across those communities. Because if you're amenable and you're relatable, I think you will get through. If there is something that is accessible about a woman of colour, speaking sense and taking away the taboo and the fear mm. and a lot of the flawed research that as a clinician you'll know you know just dispelling all of that but representation I think is really important that Pakistani women of all demographics can relate to somebody from their community that is in the same space as them. I think the other very important thing is diagnosis being more considered. So when that first port of call may be getting a second opinion. Mm. So if the first port of call to the GP based on symptoms and that first diagnosis is sadly always antidepressants, I would urge many women to get a second opinion and explore the materials. I've recommended the Balance app. I'm trying to introduce the Balance app into various community centres so women can chart their experiences and go to their GPs, like myself, fully armed with an arsenal of research stats, even charting their day-to-day -day symptoms. So the doctors and the GPs, who are much more aware now, are more capable of proper diagnosis. And then uh, maybe finally, training not necessarily for clinicians, but training for gatekeepers, such as leaders within the community. And they often are the community centres who look after the well-being and the lifestyle of these women who are approaching are in the menopause or even post-menopausal. Those women displaying classic symptoms of menopause, those community leaders should be more aware of what they are 
and able to signpost them to resources outside of GP services. So to summarise, representation, diagnosis and more training, I would say. Very good. And keep going with the work that you're doing and look forward to doing more together in some way as well. So I'm very grateful for your time, Frida. Thanks ever so much for coming today. You're very welcome, Louise. Thank you for your time. You can find out more about Newson Health Group by visiting www.newsonhealth.co.uk and you can download the free Balance app on the App Store or Google Play.